<laughs> Good to see you guys. Welcome. My name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors here. Thankful that you joined us this morning. Um, hey, uh, I just really want to give a shout out to our kids ministry and all those that helped put, put together our family experience last night. As uh, Hadley said, we do that a couple times a year to help moms and dads get a sense of what we're teaching and what we're doing over there in the kids ministry every weekend. And uh, we're just really proud of our, our program over there and uh, grateful for all of our volunteers that helped pull that off last night. Amen. And if you missed it, Mom and Dad, that's your, that's your one chance a year to get on that big old inflatable slide and no one will look at you weird. So uh, anyway, well, hey, uh, we are in a, a series that we've been doing the last couple weeks. We've been talking about a thing called Good Pharma. Everybody say Good Pharma. Good Pharma. Good Pharma. And uh, I'm going to jump into part three of that this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Genesis chapter 8. We're going to start there. But uh, if you're new with us, you've been missing this or you missed out some of these, I encourage you to go back and watch online. But I can kind of catch you up pretty simply. Um, uh, you've probably, if you're in Steamboat or been around here for a while, you've probably heard the word karma before. Uh, many of us have, I'm sure. Well, pharma is just the biblical version of karma. And uh, it's a made-up word. You won't find it in the Bible or in a dictionary. Um, but it is a made-up word to help you and I understand the law of sowing and reaping. And how that impacts us every day. I mean, regardless of even we're aware of it, sowing and reaping is happening in our lives. And uh, we've been rediscovering that. In fact, over the last couple of weeks, I've had uh, uh, several emails and notes from people just telling me how much they are enjoying rediscovering and rethinking about this law that is at work in their lives. And so in uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, we see this law. Um, it, at, this is after the flood, the great flood. God comes to know. And he tells them something very important. He says this in verse 22. He said, Noah, as long as the earth endures, as long as there's an earth, as long as this world remains, seed time and harvest will never cease. It will always be in effect as long as this planet's around. And uh, the point I'm trying to make to you is, is that the law of sowing and reaping isn't something that we came up with. It isn't something that humans created. It is something that we discover. It's something that we discover. God created the law, but it's up to you and I to discover it and to leverage it to our advantage and to our lives. And, uh, and a great example, uh, a way to think about this is this. Um, um, there, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, the Archimedes, uh, Archimedes Principle. That's a big word for a Moffat County High School graduate. Uh, but uh, that is the theory that explains some of the laws related to buoyancy. Why It explains to us why certain things float and why other things uh, sink. And, uh, and so we're in church here. I want you to be honest right off the bat here. Um, who of you have never heard of the Archimedes principle? Raise your hand. Be honest. Yeah, most of us, most of us. Some of you got big brains, good for you, but the rest of us haven't. Um, now, I want to just remind you, if you raised your hands, just because you've never heard of this doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to you. Doesn't mean that it's not affecting you. Uh, regardless if you're aware of it or not, uh, I promise you, if you go out to Stagecoach Reservoir and you jump in that big old lake over there, you will experience the effects of Archimedes' principle in your life because it applies to all of us. And so, think about this, just as mankind over the years and over the centuries has discovered the laws that dictate buoyancy, the laws of buoyancy, just as we've discovered those laws of buoyancy and we have learned how to leverage them for our benefit, 
I mean, think about this. You can go and, and you can take a small, tiny little pebble and drop it into the ocean, and it will always, always sink to the bottom. But at the same time, mankind has learned how to, how to build a 50,000-ton ocean liner that will float and travel all over the world on the oceans. Now, how is that? Well, just as we've learned to leverage the laws of buoyancy and the laws of gravity to our advantage, we can do the same with the law of pharma. By learning to leverage the law of pharma, we can ensure that we have a lifetime of harvest coming our way. Now, if you've read the Gospels, and I hope you have, um, you'll notice that Jesus encouraged you and I to do just this, to leverage the laws of pharma. Uh, he often reminds us um, that, uh, that what, what goes around comes around. What goes out comes back to you. Look at this. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said this. He said, give, and it shall be given back to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus said, Do not judge, or you will be judged. And the same way that you judge others, you too will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. And then in verse 12 of that same chapter, Jesus goes on, and it's one of his most famous teachings. It's called the Golden Rule. Look what he says. So, with that in mind, with farm in mind, in everything you do, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you because it's coming back. Treat other people because it'll come back to you. And this sums up, he says, the law and the prophets. In other words, the entire Bible is full of pharma. It's full of pharma. And it is clear to me that God wants his children to understand this law and to leverage it in our lives and for the kingdom of God and for the benefit of the kingdom. And so it's funny, uh, as I've been kind of reading the Bible over the last few weeks, um, I just see pharma everywhere now. I just see it all throughout. In fact, um, one of Jesus' most famous parables is the parable of the soils, right? Do you remember this? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus said this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. That's just pharma, pure pharma. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some of that seed fell along the path. And the birds came and they scooped it up and they ate it. Some of that seed fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. Now those seeds sprang up, those plants sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, they weren't able to grow roots and the plants, and when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they didn't have much root system going on. Then he goes on, he says, other seed fell among thorns and weeds, and those weeds grew up and they choked those plants. But, he said this, still other seed fell on what? Good soil. It fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred times that was sowed, or 60 times, or 30 times. We talked about that last week, that one of the laws of pharma is that you reap more than you sow. Good or bad, what you throw out there coming back to you. They reaped to the wind, and they, or they sowed to the wind, and they reaped a tornado coming back to them. You reap more than you sow. And Jesus then says this, and I love this. He often said this, and we very, very, very rarely pay attention to it. He says, whoever has a pair of ears, let them hear. Anybody have some ears in this room this morning? Open them up. Let God speak to you today through this word. Now, what Jesus is doing here, in part, is reminding us the simple truth, and that is this, that different kinds of soils produce different kinds of results. 
okay? That not all soils are created equal. Some do better than others. And so the bottom line for you and I, if we're dealing with pharma, is to find and use good soil. Any good farmer knows this is true. They know the value of good soil, of finding and utilizing and creating good soils in their life. And they understand that if you want a good harvest, then you've got to start with good soil. And so today, what I want to do is talk to you about three different soils that are in our lives, three different places where you and I need to consistently plant good seed in order to see good pharma take hold in our lives. I want to look at three different soils. I want to talk about good thinking, good speaking, and good doing. These are places that we can plant seeds that can see a harvest come in our lives. I want to look at the first one. Number one, good thinking. Now, I believe that this one is so foundational, that this is foundational to pharma, and if you don't get this one down, you're not going to understand and you won't see pharma in the other two. Good thinking. And so I'm going to spend a little more time on this than I do on the others. Um, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, Solomon said this, very simply, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, what we're thinking about is creating our reality a little bit is creating opportunities, and it is creating our future. Um, uh, 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 The seeds that you and I think in our mind are literally seeding the fields of our future. What you're thinking about today will affect what you do in the next few moments or what you do next week or next year. And so those thoughts that we're thinking are creative, and they're creating our future. Therefore... You and I need to be careful about the thoughts that we're thinking, um, the thoughts that we allow to bounce around in our head sometimes. We live in a world where there's all kinds of opinions and ideas and thoughts coming at us constantly on our news feed and the radio and television and people's opinions constantly coming. And we got to be careful, and I, I guess suggest to you that not all the good thoughts and opinions that are coming our way are good. Not all of them are good. Not every thought that goes across your mind is from the griddle of heaven. Some of them are from the pit of hell, amen? And you need to know the difference. You need to pay attention to what you're allowed to rattle in there a little bit, you know? And people just have opinions. Well, my daddy told me that what do, do, do. Or my friend, she says that this and this and this. And we just got to be careful about that because the problem with that kind of approach to life is that a lot of people have an opinion just because they can have one. Not because it's true, Not because it's helpful, and certainly not because that opinion is wise. And so we got to be careful. I find that a lot of people create truths in their minds early on in life that may not be so true. There are things that I, I thought of when I was younger that I thought was true. And if we're not careful, we will stick with those truths to our own detriment, to our own destruction. Um, I, I, I told you that I grew up in Craig, Colorado in a trailer park. And, and I grew up in a, I gotta be honest, a dysfunctional fo- home. There wasn't a lot of good thinking there. And there were things that were being said and truths that I kind of decided early on in life. This is how to operate. And man, those things have come back to bite me. Anybody else? Same thing. We gotta look at our thinking. We need to constantly ask ourselves a question Do I really wanna hold on to this thought? Is this a thought that I want to to take root in my mind? Will this thought produce good pharma in our life, in my life? Paul talked about this. He said, let every thought be captive to Christ. 
Every thought that comes across, go, wait a second, is this going to bring life or is this going to bring death in my life? I've told you this. Um, I'll tell you something. One of the things I've learned, and as I mentioned, I was raised in Craig and um, and I just didn't have a lot of great thinking around me, I don't think. And, uh, and as I've grown older, I have realized, um, I've met, and I've found that successful people and successful companies and successful churches and successful um, parents and, and couples, they think differently. They, th- they look at life differently. They think about life differently. They think about their finances differently. They think about relationships differently um, than, than I did. And I have learned that, I, man, I've got to, I want to think at a higher level. Uh, I don't want to accept just any kind of uh, thinking. I want to find those that are around me that are thinking high thoughts and aiming for the best. I want the best thoughts. And so I hang out with people that are thinking differently like that. In fact, more than anything, I want God's thinking on my life. I want God's perspective. And I'm certain if that if you're here this morning, you're watching online, that's you too. You're we want God's he created us. He knows us better than anyone. He knows the world. He created the world and his perspective is much better than Uncle Fred or Aunt Joni or my friend Lulu, whatever. The, I want God's perspective on my life and on my situation. And so the word of God helps us. In fact, um, the writer of of the letter to the Philippians gives us some very specific advice about what we should be thinking about. Check this out. In in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, the writer says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, think on such things. Whatever is true, not false, find truth. Now, I love this. It's interesting, though. The writer doesn't just stop there. Um, He then gives us a few more qualifiers of things that we should think about because there are things that are in this world that are true, but probably aren't worth meditating on. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And so he goes on. He says this. Look at this. He says, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, I say those words, it's almost embarrassing because they're so old-fashioned. They're so out of date. They're not cool. Think about that. I mean, our culture doesn't value nobility. What is noble? Right? Is there right? What's right? Who says what's right and wrong? Our culture doesn't care about pure. No, no, no. We want everything we have a little mixed in with some filth in it. Our TVs, our movies, the books we read, the music we listen to, purity is is so far from that. You're old-fashioned if you're looking for that. But the author says, no, 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 in your mind, (laughs) whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent around you or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why? Well, because good thinking will eventually lead to a good harvest in your life. If you don't have good thinking, you will not have good harvest, I promise. Uh, In fact, let me just put it this way. One of the problems with bad thinking is that people with bad thinking don't recognize their bad thinking as bad thinking. Right? You ever notice that? Just people have ideas and they're just, and and you're like, wow, that's not good. And they don't know it. Uh, And many of them, they love to do this. They love to call it being realistic. You know? Yeah, I'm not being negative. I'm just keeping it real, Pastor Troy. (laughs) 
I'm just being realistic. I'm just being honest. And I go, really? Are you sure? Because why is it that your honesty always sounds like negativity to me? It's never positive. Is there anything positive in your world? I mean, doesn't the same light that turns red also turn green? Right? Don't most situations that have negative things in them also have something positive to it? The point I'm trying to say is it just seems like some people have a knack for only seeing the negative in life. And be careful of those people. Um, kind of reminds me of a joke about these kids, uh, grandkids. They played on their grumpy grandpa. Um, he was sleeping, taking a little nap on the couch there. And they came over and they smeared some Limburger cheese, some stinky cheese in his mustache. And they sat back and they watched. And a few minutes later, he kind of woke up from snoring. And he, he sat there and he kind of wiped the sleep from his eyes. And he looked around and he goes, what stinks in here? Stinks in here. Gets up and he goes and wanders into the kitchen. And he's in there for a little bit. And he goes, what stinks in here? I'm going to go outside and get some fresh air. So he goes outside, out there for about a minute. Comes back in and looks at everybody and goes, the whole world stinks. You didn't like that one? That's <laughs> You've heard that one before. My point is, is that uh, there, there are a lot of people that kind of think that way. That's how they, they everywhere they go, they take their negativity with them. They, years of planting negative seeds has created a harvest of the same in their life. You didn't like that illustration. How about this one? Does anybody remember the old classic song by Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World? No? You remember this one? Oh, man, I heard it a while back on Sirius, and when I was listening to it, I heard something I'd never heard before. It goes like this. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Hold on, hold on. He goes on, he goes, I see, I see skies of blue, clouds of white, the bright blessed day, and the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I love that song, because it's true, the world is truly how we think it is how we perceive it, how we see it. The world is not perfect, and there are problems, and there's negative stuff, but this world is a wonderful place. It's a beautiful place. There's so many things that we can focus on, and yet you and I, so often, we get caught up in seeing the negative and, and thinking and focusing on the negative, and you wonder, why is that? Well, I think it's our sin nature. We just are bent towards seeing the negative in life, and, and even us, the blessed to get to live in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, this beautiful place, we kind of do that. We wake up in the morning and we sing our song. I see traffic jams, <laughs> cloudy skies, annoying tourists driving by. And I think to myself, what a horrible world. <laughs> right? <laughs> My point is, think good thoughts. And you'll have a much better chance of producing a good harvest in your life. That's a foundational truth there. Number two, good thinking, good speaking. Good speaking. Um, this, is, this, is, this is fun. I love this. It's the same with our words as it is with our thoughts. That our words are more than just words. 
the words that we use are more than just a tool to communicate with one another. Our words are creative. They're a creative force. This is true. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, how did he do that? Have you ever read verse 3? <laughs> he, he spoke it. He spoke it. He spoke words. In verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep. There was nothing happening, and the Spirit of God was just hovering over the waters. And then in verse 3, it says this, And then God said, Let there be light. And it was so. In fact, at every step of the creation process, it's the same thing. God said, and God said, let there be, and it was so. Now, I want you to understand that that same principle is at work in us. Um, Jesus said as much. In Mark chapter 11, verse 23, he said this. Look at this. He said, truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and then does not doubt in his heart but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Why is that? Because our words have power. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't hear me. I didn't say that they have ultimate power. We're not God. And so we can't just manifest things by, but we are created in the image of our, our God. And so there is power in our words. We have the power to create. We have the power to create encouragement in people or to create discouragement. We have the power to create problems with our words or to solve problems with our words. We have the power to create mountains out of molehills or to move mountains out of our lives. And so we need to be careful. Look at this, Proverbs 18, Proverbs 18, 21. Solomon said this. He said, the tongue has the power of life and death. And then look at this pharma statement. Those who love to talk will eat its fruit. They will reap what they sow with their words, good or bad. And so we gotta be careful with our words. We need to choose them carefully and not be flippant. Um, and here's one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is that our words are hard to take back. I've said things I regret, and in fact, you can't take them back. Once they're out there, uh, I, I, in fact, this week, I was speaking to a group of people, and um, I said something kind of flippantly, uh, and what just wasn't, I was just not in a good spot, and I said something kind of goofy, and I didn't think too much about it, and, um, but it was hurtful to one of my friends. And to his credit, he came to me, and he, he, he pulled me to the side after and said, man, I just want you to know that was kind of goofy, that was kind of hurtful, it's kind of embarrassing to me, and it's kind of embarrassing to you. And I thought about it, and it was tough and, to hear that, but I, 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 I got it, and I apologized. I said, I'm sorry. But you know what the problem is? <laughs> There's nothing I could do to take it back. It was done. I called people and said, I'm sorry, and they're like, yeah, yeah. It's out there. I had planted some seed in the minds of the people that were there, and it will produce a harvest that I can't stop. I can pray for crop failure, <laughs> pray that that didn't come back to me, and sometimes God will do that, but most of the time, it happens. Our words are powerful. And students of pharma understand this. They understand, they understand that our words can literally change the world. Uh, throughout history, uh, we know that 
uh, words have been said and many words have been said and they've done some harm. But we also know that a lot of good can come out of good words. Um, Think about how different our nation would be if we didn't have uh, people like Abraham Lincoln who uh, used the power of his words in the Emancipation Proclamation to change the world forever. Or think about people like Martin Luther King who rallied our nation's consciousness to a higher equality and a higher level of justice with his words. But what if people like them just stayed quiet, didn't say anything, just kind of sat there and just complained about the way things were rather than articulate the possibility of a better future? What would happen? I mean, think about the creative power that was unleashed when Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. I can picture a better world. Or think about uh, when Patrick Henry stood up and said, give me liberty or give me death. Give me my freedom or give me death. Or JFK when he said, you know, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Or, or more than that, what about Joshua in the Bible when he stood up in front of the nation of Israel as they were about to go into the promised land. He said, hey, do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's right. He will never leave you Amen. or forsake you. My point is, is speak up. Speak up. Speak life to your situation. Speak words of hope and faith in your world. Speak words that give life and watch the world and the people around you come alive. It's a reality. You reap what you sow when you speak words. So good thinking, good speaking, and lastly, good doing. Good doing. (laughs) And this is where a lot of Christians bail out. We're good at coming to church and hearing messages or reading the Bible, but the doing part is the hard part. There's something about the doing. The Bible says, do not just be hearers of God's word, but be doers of it. And that's great soil. That's where this thing, by the way, if your Christianity, your faith right now is weak and lame, and and you're just, "Ah, why am I even doing this? I'll tell you what's wrong. You're not doing it. You're reading, you're hearing, you've got information, but you're not acting on it. You're not taking the steps of faith. Because when you do, when you begin to do and literally follow Jesus and do the things that he tells you to do, Peter, step out of the boat. You will see amazing things, and this thing will be an incredible adventure. You will see miracles. The reason I'm pumped about my faith right now is I see miracles all the time. God puts me in places where I have a choice to either do what he said he's done or just ignore it. And when I do it, I see amazing things. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about here? That's when this thing comes alive. That's where the juice of Christianity is, is doing. And like the others, our actions are more than just actions. They're more than just behaviors. I would suggest to you that our actions are literally telling our life what to give back to us. Don't tell me what you believe. Don't tell me what you think. Show me. That's what God is saying is, hey, I I hear you. I hear you, but I want to see it. And when you do it, I'll, I'll, I'll do something. It gets God going. Everything that you and I are doing is a seed that we're planting. Giving your time to somebody is a seed that you're planting. Serving, doing acts of kindness for others is a seed that you're planting. Praying prayers is a seed that you're planting. And doing acts of faith is a powerful seed. Whenever you and I do something that doesn't make sense to our minds that seems counterintuitive to what we think we should do, and we do this thing out of faith, and we step out in faith, and we do what God tells us to do, oh my gosh, 
it, it's powerful. That's an incredible seed, um, especially when you're in a desperate situation. Find yourself back against the wall. You don't know what to do. Everybody else is doing this, and you're like, mm, I don't know why, but I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to take a step of faith and do the opposite of what I think. When you do that, get ready, baby. <laughs> Things happen. You and I, we admire people who step out in faith in the midst of difficult circumstances, who, who continue to do the right thing when everybody else is running away. And, and we are, we're impressed by that. And here's the thing. So is God. It gets his attention. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, unless you and I are doing something out of faith and out of trust of God and his word, he's kind of, but boy, it impresses him when you and I see his word and we're in a situation and we choose to do what he would call us to do, to do right in that. Oh man, that gets all of his attention. The Bible says this, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe two things. Number one, that he exists. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure if he exists. If you want to see God do something, you kind of go, okay, I'm going to give, all right, I don't believe 100% that he exists. I'm 49%. Is that enough? Yeah, that's enough. I, I believe that you're out there. I, I look at the universe. I see the beauty. I see the order. I see that there's some intelligence going on in design. Maybe there is a God. Okay, I believe he exists. The number two part of this is more important. And those who will diligently seek him. They must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Who put God's word to the test. Who take little baby steps of faith to see if God will move on that. And it's fascinating. The writer, right after he writes that, he goes on and he gives us several examples of people who are in desperate situations where God came through. He talks about Abraham and Noah and Sarah, and, and, and how these people took steps of faith and they changed their destiny. In fact, that's really the Bible. The Old Testament is just these stories of these people who took a little baby step of faith to God and God took a big giant step to them and blew their minds. Uh, a, a little known story, but illustrates this in such a wonderful way, is the story of these four lepers in 2 Kings chapter 7. I promise you, you probably won't even remember this story, but uh, it's brilliant. Um, these four guys were in a desperate situation. Their backs are against the wall. And, but I want you to get this. Even though there was nothing they could do to improve their situation, they refused to do nothing. There, there was no good options for them. There was nothing they could do in their own power to improve their situation but they refused to just sit there and do nothing. I love this about them. At this time in the history of Israel, Syria, one of Israel's neighbors, came and attacked the northern part of Israel, which was kind of known as Samaria. And Samaria was one of the capitals of, of, of Israel. And they, they, they basically held them, laid siege to them. And this is what they did back then. They would surround a city and they wouldn't let anything in. And they wouldn't let anything out. No water, no food, no supplies, nothing. And they basically just starve them out. And the Bible says that there was such a severe famine because of this siege that women in the city began to cannibalize their children. I mean, it was desperate. Uh, it was so bad, the Bible says that a donkey's head would sell for 80 pieces of silver because of the meat that you can get. I mean, this is just horrible. It was so bad that uh, dove poop would sell for five pieces of silver because people were eating it. It was bad, right? And so these four lepers 
were just sitting kind of at the city gate. <laughs> They're outcasts. They couldn't go in the city. Because of their disease, nobody cared about them and wanted them out. And like the rest of Samaria, they were literally starving to death. But unlike the rest of Samaria, they decided to do something about it. Besides eat bird poop or each other. They, 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 one, of the, one of them, this is fascinating, one of them asked a question and, and said this question. Why should we just sit here until we die? It's a brilliant question. Because so many people I see, uh, they never ask that question. They, uh, they would just rather sit around and complain about their situation. Just go. Or, or, or wait and hope that someone's just going to come and save them. These guys didn't have any good options. They had three options, basically. The first option, number one, is that they could sit at the gate, but they're going to starve to death. Or they could go back into their city, but they're going to starve to death. Or three, they could go over to the enemy camp and ask them if they could maybe have something to eat. Now, of the three, only three had a little shred of hope. I mean, chances were they were going to get killed. Why? That's the enemy's camp. The enemy is there to kill them, right? But they thought maybe, just maybe, there's a sliver of hope that maybe we would find some mercy. And so at first light the next morning, they went to the enemy's camp. They did something. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it's funny. As they went, something crazy happened. But I'm not going to tell you. You've got to read it. 2 Kings chapter 7. <laughs> but listen to me, listen to me. What God did do is God used these four desperate lepers, these four desperate outcasts to work a miracle that saved the entire city. The least of these God used. <laughs> and, and why? Because they were willing to face their fears and do something anyway. And to take a step of faith anyway. And those lepers saved many, many lives that day. And I'll tell you over and over and over again, you read this in the Bible, you will see story after story where desperate people took one little baby step to God and then God made a big giant step to them and incredible things took place. This is a pattern. God gives us these stories so that we could kind of have our own faith and to have faith to step out. I want to conclude with a big truth that I think you and I often forget. And it's so simple but it's so true, and that is this. A seed's potential is never realized until it is actually sown. Oh, wow, Pastor Troy. No, it's true. <laughs> uh, a few years ago, archaeologists um, discovered some seeds uh, buried in an ancient uh, Egyptian uh, pyramid. Um, that were there for over 3,000 years. They just found these seeds and been there for 3,000 years. And they took some of those seeds and they planted them. And to their amazement, those seeds produced a harvest. They grew. Now think about that. All that potential in those seeds had been locked up <laughs> for thousands of years, doing nothing, and would have continued to go on doing nothing. Those seeds, that potential was just sitting there waiting and waiting for what? To be sowed. See, a seed's potential is never realized until it is sown. In the same way, some of you have been waiting. <laughs> you're just waiting. And you're holding on to your seed. You've got a little bit of seed that God's given you. 
and you, you're hearing this challenge to plant that seed, but you're not 100% sure that this pharma thing works, and you're afraid that if you plant your seed, you'll lose everything that you have. You'll lose what you have. And so you're holding on to it. And I just want you to know, another thousand sermons on pharma isn't going to convince you. We can sit around and debate for hours about this, but that still won't convince you. The only way you'll find out this works is if you take a step of faith and you try it yourself. Because a seed's potential is never realized until it's sown. And so, this week, every one of us, you're going to leave here, all of us, we're going to go back out into this broken world There's a lot of problems, a lot of sin, a lot of brokenness, a lot of challenges are going to come our way. Everything isn't going to go perfect for us this week. And you and I are going to be faced with a choice. We can do one of two things. We can either be upset and complain about it, or we can do something. We can do something. We can take a step of faith, and we can plant some seeds of hope. Because a seed's potential is never realized. Until it's sown. I just want you to get this. I want you to see today that you don't have to be a victim. You don't have to just be uh, whatever comes. I guess I got to take it. You have power. You have some leverage. You have leverage to, uh, you can leverage the power of pharma with your thought life and with your words. And with your actions. And you can see good things happen in your life. And this is true whether you're young or you're old. Or whether you're a student or you're retired. Or whether you're a woman or a man. Or you're a white person, a black person, or a brown person. It doesn't matter. Pharma works. (laughs) It works. Paul said it. He said, don't be fooled. You will always reap what you sow. So go sow some seed this week and see for yourself. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's do that. Let me pray. Hallelujah. Uh, Man, thank you, God, uh, for for your word. And we would be making up life on our own if we didn't have this. And so often we complicate your word and we make it something just so harder to understand. But man, this pharma thing is as simple as it gets. Even a caveman can do this. It's all about sowing and reaping. And trusting that this law that has been in effect from the beginning of time will continue to be effect and will work in our lives. And so God, I just pray that you would give all of us eyes to see opportunities to plant seed, to sow seed in our thought life, to sow seeds with the words that we have and that we can use in our lives and our homes and our families and with our children. We can speak life into those situations. And that we can bring life to circumstances by doing, by taking steps of faith. That, man, that is awesome. And, and I believe that there are people in this room that are rebuilding their lives, they're restarting it, they're here this morning, they're like, man, I was on my last deal. I pray that you would show them that whatever they sow, they will reap. If they're not happy with their current harvest, they will start today planting and preparing for another harvest. Help us, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Give us courage to put this to the test. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's children said, amen.